Uh, we are on part four, ladies and gentlemen. Every episode gets more ridiculous than the past. Welcome back to the overlap, where, of course, Rian and I are going over now the Euro semifinals and the Copa America semifinals. We are nearly at peak UEFA slash CONMEBOL season, and I am 100% here for it. So, without further ado, Rian, what's good? How you doing? Did you get, did you get a chance to, like, properly rest up? between the quarterfinals and the semis because the last two days i have been all over the place (laughs) (laughs) to rest up now now not really honestly (laughs) on monday night i think it was it was like we couldn't even remember i i I didn't even remember that it was uh the first of the semifinals for a couple america on monday night i thought they were both going to be on tuesday and wednesday honestly maybe for the best because like (laughs) That would have been so, just too much, yeah. too much. Um, if if all four of those semifinals had a one on each day on the that same been day, crazy. like that would have been too much for us, honestly. But no, it's been a good start to the week. And uh, going into this week, at the end of the weekend, if we were asked, you know, what is the ideal final? I think we've got them in both competitions. So yeah, yeah, that's fair. That. That's that's pretty fair. Um, from an objective standpoint, I think this is probably like the most entertaining that the two finals could could look like. Um, and that's that's pretty good for neutral. It's not good for some other fans of teams that shall not be named. But you know, it's the way that life goes. Um, nothing, honestly. Like I feel like not much has happened outside of like, or like in our normal lives, like in our day to days. You know what I mean? Like outside of just like I've been mentally preoccupied by this these four games for the last like five days and i i I don't know what it is like i don't know how to explain it to someone who isn't really like a football fan it's just taking up so much mental capacity it's great now that i only have two games to worry about and honestly all honestly it's like more more than just one um but yeah yeah why don't we just why don't we just do it let's just talk about these games man because Oh, we got to start with Spain and Italy. What a painful, painful way to end this tournament for Spain and ecstasy for Italy, reaching their first European final since 2012. Well, it looks like our man in the Dolce and Gabbana slash like <laughs> Giorgio if, Armani, Giorgio Armani, yeah, <laughs> crossover suit has absolutely done wonders for this Italian team and before we even get into like any analysis of like what we thought the game was like master shout out to Mancini genuine master shout out for taking a team on a basically a 30 game unbeaten run to get them to this point that alone needs to be lauded like European tournament aside so I'll start there Rian talk to me what were your thoughts on Let's let's talk about in the context of regulation first with Italy, Spain. I mean, the starting lineup for Spain that obviously excluded Alvaro Morata and included Oria Thabal as the the substitute there. We also noted sp- after after um, the quote came out 
<laughs> reminding oh, yeah. us of what, of what he had said about training with Giorgio Chiellini in the past. He's, I think he said <laughs> it was something like being put in a cage with a gorilla and trying to get steal the food from them or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Rian so, aggressively tweeted that out. And I actually hadn't heard that quote until he said it. But I was like, yeah, that that actually that actually checks out. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. But yeah, um, God, another notable change that probably was the one of the biggest positives of the game, Danny Olmo coming into the starting lineup as well. But at the end of the day, Spain can get it done. So Rian, thoughts on the first half? The first half, I was like frantic. I don't know. I mm. it, it it felt so um frantic in a good way though i i should say like both teams press each other ag- aggressively and it was a lot of um a lot of difficulties for each side being able to play through each other's press and i think as the half kind of wore on we saw spain start to kind of pick it up start to find some spaces and then you know i, I think it was more uh progression in the second half for spain in terms of continuing to find those spaces, but it was, it was awesome. I don't know. The, the, the first half, I, I think at one point during the first half or, or maybe it may have been even middle of the second half. I, when I was watching it, I was like, I was watching it with someplace without the sound. I was just in the bar across the street from us and it was up on a projector and no sound. So I couldn't hear what the announcers were saying about the game itself. And, I was just like, wow, I, this has been really fascinating. I, I hope that people are enjoying this game. I hope, I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not like in a bubble like where I think, like, oh, well, this is like tactically fascinating. So it must be entertaining. But I feel like a lot of people's, um, a lot of the consensus was it was a very entertaining um, game overall. But that first half, I think, was just frantic, just really frantic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, the first half was a little all over the place. The first 15 minutes was largely all Italy, honestly. Like, it, it didn't really feature much of Spain, you know, doing what you were kind of saying with the pressing and being an aggressive side, I would say, and really winning the ball in the midfield. Because I think we kind of saw that, like, we kind of agreed about this, like, beforehand we were talking about this with Miguel, like, this game really would probably be won in the midfield and the half spaces um, in the final third. And I would, I would say that as the game grew, Spain 100% took the game to Italy in, in the second half and dominated in basically in between the lines. And, and Danny Olmo's yeah. a false night was a big part of that. But in the first half, I was overly like not impressed with Spain the first 30 minutes, probably I would say. And as they started to get more possession and settle into the game more, you could see that, the trouble that Italy's midfield had in basically trying to take the ball off Spain is that Luis Enrique did something really smart. And this is why I love the, the tactical battle of this. He basically outnumbered Italy's midfield at any given yeah. time. And, and he conceded parts of the wing play to, to Italy with the hope. Yeah, there was. Yeah. I, well, I was going to say, like, one of the big things that we talked about in the um, talking with Miguel was the wing play too was, was whether Spain was going to be able to um, find those, well, exploit the wings um, considering that Italy had been down uh, without Spinozola and right. just generally, like we saw where the difficulties were against Belgium, right. With, with Doku. So Goku, get it right. <laughs> <laughs> playing like Goku basically. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> but 
But yeah, that was the really interesting part about that first half is where Spain conceded that space out wide by, again, a lot of that having to do with not starting Alvaro Morata or Gerard Moreno as one of the um, the center forwards. And just really, really interesting uh, choices there. As you said, like Danny Olmo started on the wing-ish, but really just tucked inside every single time yeah. that, that, that Spain had the ball and was coming deep. And, and that was the only – no other team has done that against Italy, basically, yeah. in this tournament. Yeah. I was going to say that's the only way <clears> – only way and the first time that we've seen it in this competition – anyone be able to keep the ball for long periods like Spain did. Um, and that is pretty much the blueprint right now. Right. Like, <laughs> I think that's the first from that first half, like that's the blueprint. Um, I think one of the interesting things from the Italy point of view, we saw I think maybe only once or twice in that first half where they actually were able to get the ball out wide to Insigne and, yeah. and get yeah. it out to the left side and, and, there was one moment with, I think it was like somewhere 15 minutes in, um, when it gets to Insigne and he and Emerson play a one-two. And I think Emerson did a good job of like, again, not fully Spinazzola, but like close. And he was making the same runs. And, and on that particular play, he found this space playing a one-two with uh, Insigne. And that's when I texted Elias. So when Unai Simone came, just... <laughs> I, I, I mean, <laughs> he had two howlers this game. Let's be honest. It was, yeah, yeah it, he runs out from gold. <laughs> not, not because someone has broken, um, broken past their back line and is running down on goal through the center of the field. But Emerson is basically just maybe one shoulder's length ahead of uh, Espelicueta. And he's on the outer left side of the court or sorry penalty area and Unai Simone's running out for who knows why and um they got very very lucky that yeah neither Immobile nor Barella just hit hit the ball first time into the net into an open gaping net so basically it, it was very frantic defending yeah from Spain on the counter the only I mean, time only time I could remember in that first half where they were yeah. were able to actually you know, find the combination play on the left side as they had done so many other times in this tournament mm-hmm. with Spinazzola. Yeah, and there was a reason why I felt Insigne was one of their best players so far um, this tournament. Obviously, there are massive shout-outs for Jorginho and for their their back line, right? But I thought Insigne did find himself in those spaces time and time again. Spain, Spain just troubled me defensively throughout the entire game, not even just the first half, but, like, defensively, we're still very jittery. And I think bringing in Eric Garcia for Pau Torres actually was a positive change. This is someone who's saying that as objectively as possible. Obviously I, I'm someone who very much rates Pau Torres, but Eric Garcia did bring a little bit of stability and solidity to that back line when they really needed to settle down, especially on the counter, the Italian goal though, that came, there are very few teams that would have probably been able to stop that anyway. So yeah. I give like, like just the counter shake my hand. Italy. Yeah. Every it, it, I guess that was always the that was, that was the threat. Our concern for, yeah, for Spain yeah. is is any team that starts running at them, like they they look they just look slow at times. Honestly, for they, they just look slow at times, and a lot of space opening up um, whenever teams are able to counter at them. And for all of 
the sitting back and having to just weather the storm of Italy, of uh, Spain, I mean, that Italy had to do, they looked dangerous on almost every counter. So it kind of showed the the adaptability of this team, which we didn't know. We weren't sure whether they had or not. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And now I guess we look towards what ended up being Morata the savior to <laughs> Morata the devil. I don't, I like, I, yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> Spain were so, so much better in the second half, right? Yeah. Just, just in terms of, well, one, they were better than they played in the, than I think they did in the first half. And also they were better than Italy in the second half for sure. 100%. Um, they, I felt like the second half, more than them finding the spaces necessarily against Italy, I think they just they just played out of the press really well. Like, yeah. They, yeah. I, I think I think some of it Italy had to just kind of throw their hands up because <laughs> the balls that would go into Busquets and Busquets almost without looking would just play it first time and split two of the Italian defenders. Yeah. yeah. And there would be Pedri. Um, in between the midfield and, and defense and some of that you some of that you just like you could say they could press Busquets higher ashore but like but then you lose needs, a massive advantage to play. Uh... yeah and any and like the only way that passes like those passes some of these passes were being made to break through um Italy's Italy's press was quick first time passes that just perfectly found the feet of either Pedri or um or Koke at times, but but still a lot Pedri, a lot of yeah. Pedri. But yeah, yeah I, I think I think I think that second half just showed. I don't think it um lessens how good Italy were. I think it actually brings up how good Spain mm-hmm. are. Right, this Spanish team is especially in the midfield because I think maybe like ten or so minutes before the goal before Italy's goal, my thought was like, I, I feel like the only way someone's scoring right now is from a counter. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and I think I think Spain, even themselves at times in that first half, looked good on the counter when when the game Through was Torres, pretty yeah. frantic. Right. So I I I found I came away from this game, especially even the after 90 minutes when when it felt like Spain um probably deserved more than the draw that there was after 90 minutes. I, I still felt I don't know, very impressed by both of these teams still. Like even like you knew the 30 minutes would be just chaotic. The, the 30 <laughs> minutes of extra time would just be chaotic. So tactics thrown out of the window there. But like I don't know. I felt after the 90 minutes, I felt really, really encouraged by how good I feel like these two teams were. Yeah. Yeah. And and Spain 100 percent I think we're both in agreement were the better team or was a better team over the course of the 120 minutes. The problem is that well, I would say Spain had two major problems. One, they are missing Ansu Fati very badly. And you saw that in their wing play, right? You just saw how they couldn't, they couldn't really drive past any one of a combination of Italian fullback or right or left-sided midfielder. Like they just couldn't do it because they didn't have the profile players to do that. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that this team does not, I, I would still probably argue this team does not have a dedicated striker that they are probably going to be relying on for the next five years. They just don't. It's not someone 
Gerard Moreno and Alvaro Morata are very much in form type of strikers. Uh, you know, unfortunately, they are still very high quality. Don't get me wrong. Gerard Moreno has had the last two seasons have been incredible. But at the same time, you can't can't necessarily always say that he's been around in you know the last four, three to four years, right? And that kind of showed through in their XG. And, and I hate using XG sometimes for like a real deterministic point of view on how a team played. Obviously, some people love it. But when you have an XG difference of, I think it was something like 5.6 between their actual or their expected goals and the actual number of goals they scored, right? You're talking about Spain scoring the highest number of goals, I think, ever that they have scored in a Euros tournament, 13. But their XG was 18.66. <laughs> so you mean to tell me that the chances, I mean, the chances well, that like chances or, or so Thabal, yeah, yeah, like those those chances Orya Thabal missed. Um, yeah. God, Gerard Moreno missed a few really good chances. Alvaro Morata obviously missed a few good. Ch- like those went beckoning, yeah. and that was a difference for the Spanish Spanish side. Otherwise, they'd be in the final hands down. And that's what's so hard about like international. Yeah, like, like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's it is just so results based, right? Like at, this isn't. Like I get that they that they've tried to kind of uh, get a bit of best of both worlds there with like the Nations League where they play more games in a group and whatever. But in these tournaments themselves, like you only get five. Like if you make a deep run, you get five or six games, five to seven games, right? And that's such a small sample size to go off of. It. Like if they're playing yeah. 38 games, like Italy, <laughs> not Italy, sorry, Spain, maybe they win the, the league of this Euros, right? But yeah, yeah. because there's such a small sample size here, that's why so much like conversation around national teams, it seems like always seems center around who's the striker, who's yeah. the striker, who's going to score the goals for the team, which <laughs> I mean, we've learned from this Spanish teams of, of uh, past generations, like that, that doesn't quite matter that much. Yeah. Um, that doesn't quite, it's not the only way to win a tournament. I'll say that it doesn't matter, but, but it's not the only way to win a tournament, but that's why you see the, the conversation around that stuff being so feverish, right. Mm-hmm. And why, why even throughout this tournament where Spain have looked, so good in build-up play and being able to control the uh, quality of chances that their opponents get. Even myself, who hates who hates to think about <laughs> things in terms of like, oh, well, can they score or not? Or like, can the striker score or whatever? At the end of the day, like, in, in international soccer, like, that is... You just have to be able to finish your chances. Like, because it doesn't really matter as much how well you play when we get to knockout stages you just need mm-hmm. to have some guys there that are good finishers like yeah yeah <laughs> exactly Chiesa if he's Spanish he's the best finisher on the team like, oh my god like, like that, it's like that <laughs> that's where like that's kind of the difference between these two teams in the end it's like Immobile very fickle in the, in the knockout stages of this tournament like he was good in the group stages but very fickle in the knockout stages but Italy has multiple midfielders that are very good at finishing. So yeah, that's, yeah. they can get goals from more than one position pretty much. For sure. hundred percent. That was, uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. That was really a difference between these two sides. Obviously once the only thing I'll mention about penalties, because I knew 
from the second that I saw that coin toss that this was not going well. <laughs> like this was not a situation with Switzerland where like you could say, okay, maybe Unai Simone would come up big or I did not expect Switzerland to miss all like three penalties. <laughs> but seeing Jordi Alba next to Chiellini in that moment, someone <laughs> who has had a history of really suffering from the mental aspect of this game, looking so nervous and so uptight the captain of this Spanish team going up there for a coin toss, not anything more, a coin toss. And to see Chiellini joking and laughing and like pinching his cheek and like being all (laughs) playful, you knew who was coming out of that on top. The mental game had already been won. At that point, it was just more about finish it off. It was, it was just so funny seeing that. Uh, no, the Jordi Alba was so he was he, he was nervous because he knew that if they didn't win the coin toss and they went second, he knew the percentages, the historical percentages of going yeah, second. In, okay, in all right, PKs. All right. He, he knew it. Um, Don't worry, <laughs> we'll we'll get to uh, Argentina, Colombia. Oh yes, yeah, no, that that's <laughs> <laughs> no, that is a good that is a good um that'll be a good case study. <laughs> yeah, um, of course, of course. <laughs> but uh, no, the, the the penalties like. We know how cruel they are, of course, and oh, man, I feel I feel for Danny Olmo for sure. Yeah, and oh, then yeah, I feel for him because I think he's had a very good tournament. It's just you know he's part of that issue that we just spoke on, where yes. the finishing, like yes. he has two great chances in in the ninety minutes, um, and just doesn't quite get them right, like finishing wise in not to say that he's known for that, but that, those are the margins when you're in the semifinals of the Euros. So, 100%. Um, it's tough for him, tough for him for sure. And then, yeah, so Alvaro Morata's case, like, you know what? He's the only player in that uh, 90 minutes, in the first 90 minutes, that actually, like, ran at the, de- at the uh, Italian defense as he did for that goal. Like, that's that's also like I think where where they're missing um Antufati. Like so he just ran beyond the defenders. He just kept yeah. his run going. He found great job in fighting the space and then playing the one two with Olmo. Um, but he just kept running beyond defenders and he and he was rewarded. And I'm happy for him that he finished that. Bummed for him that he uh, <laughs> that, that he, he didn't, yeah, he didn't finish the penalty. Yeah. Um, but so much credit to Donnarumma, who, as I noted on Twitter, did not celebrate at all from, from scoring. No. I'm sorry, from saving um, of Amarata's penalty. Like the the guy was very ice cold. Um, but also, like Donnarumma, I went back and I looked. He he went the right way on I think three of the four penalties. Too. Yeah. So that's someone who I think as we'll get as we get to Argentina, um, <laughs> another goalkeeper who obviously did their homework he did his yeah. homework going into this it went the right way i think when i simon went the right way on half, two, two of the four yep. for, for italy um but donnarumma obviously was prepared and ready and he and even on almost full miss over the bar he went the right way there too so yep you know credit credit to the goalkeeper there too it's not a it's it's not a great penalty, obviously, from from Morata. Oh, it, it was it was garbage. It was not, actually, it's it very timid. <laughs> it was not very good, but uh, credit to Donnarumma who did his homework and and went the right way on it. 
Yep, 100%. And Donnarumma has absolutely shut me up during this tournament. I will admit when I'm <laughs> wrong, and he he has done a very good job of that, to say the least. I'll leave it at that. But what I, I guess for Spain, it's the end of the road in the, the Euros. But Wait, this sorry. Are you just gonna gloss over the man who scored the winning penalty? No, I we're not doing no no no, no 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 we're I refuse. Who I swear I'll stop the recording. <laughs> has put it to bed. No one can ever, ever, oh, ever call geez. it the Bruno penalty because guess what? Jorginho did it to send his team <laughs> to the final, and everyone has to now accept that's his penalty. Whatever. It's a tangent but i honestly i I honestly i I genuinely forgot about that moment and i for some reason had in my head that the Murata penalty was the reason why they well they went like in the in the sense that like i blocked out or i blacked out (laughs) Jorginho's penalty because all of the bs like ballon d'or talk all of a sudden like we're just handing out like candy look that is hilarious i actually i want that just for the chaos not because i (laughs) ever think that he deserves it but someone said it very very um well on twitter i think it was grayson robertson who's said i actually want Jorginho to win it so that we can all finally agree this, this award means nothing oh so, fair yeah yeah. so yeah. Yeah. you know what i would actually be fine with that yeah yeah honestly uh, it would it would make a lot of ronaldo and messi stands really pissed off and i'm also kind of here for that chaos as being a part <laughs> of one of those those Look, clubs so we we decided not to give it out last year for pretty much no reason <laughs> pretty much no reason at all as if they Let's, couldn't let have me voted specify online. yeah, yeah let me <laughs> specify france football decided to wake up and choose that yeah sort of Fran- yes exactly exactly <laughs> that's so fair honestly man yeah no actually the one thing that i will say is although i was sad to see spain go out the Jorginho penalty and yes final called the Jorginho penalty <laughs> like that style it kind of grew on me like in that moment I, I really appreciated like the skill set behind really waiting to see where the keeper goes. That's it's it's interesting. Yeah. Like it, yeah, I, I respect it. Look at that's the he was the only one out of the what eight penalty kick takers who like, the goalkeeper actually stayed on his line the entire time because they had no clue where he was going and actually put doubt into the the keeper's mind. So yeah, look at it. <laughs> We, I don't think Elise and I will ever try that penalty in any real uh, <laughs> no. game. Like no. that's not that's not something I would ever think about doing. So, props to to all the players that um, can actually kick the ball into one corner of the net without pretty much looking <laughs> without looking at the ball at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, massive respect, massive respect. So, can we can we move on to talk about another game? potentially another semifinal yes but i know you wanted to just get a short moratorium on on spain i'll just say i think yeah they've got a lot to look forward to in 2022 i'll just say that that was going to be what i said i I think that come the end of 22 in the world cup next year i think that this team genuinely has a shot that's all yeah i would i would i would leave it at that um but yes moving on gosh i really (laughs) (laughs) the last week has been very painful when it comes to the English national team. Rian knows this very well about me, but I despise the England national team. Almost like not much to do with their players, so much as to do with the combination of fans, like English fans, 
and their arrogance. Like I genuinely Absolutely fair, completely fair. Oh, oh thank you. Oh, of course. Cause <laughs> I was looking for validation. This I would have said that regardless of how you, how you felt about it, but I hate English fans. I'm sorry, but I despise their absolute arrogance to this game. Like they walk around and deserve everything having not won a trophy in 50 years who like who does no 60 year what am i talking yeah who does that no <laughs> literally no it's it's insane to me and while i am actually genuinely happy for gareth southgate of all people like i love gareth southgate as a man as a manager i i, I think very highly of him but dear god i will be rooting so hard for italy on sunday afternoon and you like that's how badly I want England to lose is that I'm now rooting for Italy of all teams. So anyway, should we talk? Just, just you want to talk about the game? Yeah. 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 Let's, let's actually talk about like I needed to get that off my chest because I was losing my freaking mind watching this team <laughs> make it to the final. Obviously England taking down Denmark two um, one in extra time, no penalties. We were, I would, I will say going back to our predictions about both of these games, both the semifinals, we were both just kind of wrong in that week. I guess none of us really thought that any of these games would go to extra time, even though the rating was kind said, of on the wall. I, I think I said at the end of the... the um, you did, yeah. And they ended with Miguel. Mm-hmm. I was like, <laughs> like, notice how none of us have talked about the potential <laughs> of penalties in this. But but I didn't I didn't see it coming for England-Denmark. I, I thought that we might get it for Italy-Spain, but mm-hmm. I... Yeah. Or no, no, I'm sorry, flip it. I, I think I said it at the end with You Alex. did not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I said it with Alex because I knew how much penalties would make him shit himself. So. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, would have no, been entertaining as hell, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean, fair point. I'll, I'll always call out when, uh, when I'm wrong again. But yeah, so Denmark, England, very, I would say, cagey to start. And overall... I think it grew like we it grew into a, a somewhat open game as as time went on. How do we even talk about like the, the quality of this Danish team in the context of this game because I was I was impressed with how well this team came out and really pushed England especially in the second half. Like it really felt like Denmark could have gotten a second goal in in the second half of this game. But at the same time, I was very underwhelmed by the subs that, um, that were made from, from the data side in this game. So I'm honest, I'm almost like I'm, I'm, I'm torn about this game because I still think that Denmark like absolutely could be in this final. Like they absolutely really? had a shot. I don't know. I don't know. I think I I agree with you. I think the first half. I think the first half they looked very good. Oh, sorry. Like I meant, I meant first and, half. I I did say second. Yeah. I meant first half. Yes, I meant first yeah. half. Yeah, I think I think first half they looked really like leading up to before the goal, before the Dom's goal. Mm-hmm. Like they just looked so fluid, just so fluid. Um, and I agree with you. I think before England scored their goal, like there was. I can't remember who who had the chance, but but Denmark felt like they could have gotten a second goal before before England scored their set their first. Yes, that's right? yes. I got yeah. the house mixed up. You're totally right. <laughs> no, no. It, it, look, they 
I, I just feel like the, for the second half, they just kind of ran out of energy uh, and, and they just couldn't sub as good players <laughs> as England could. Like I, it, it felt like it just became like a talent. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they were just, it was just talent versus talent by the time it got to like the 60th, 70th minute. Um, but from that first half, like everything that was so entertaining about this Danish side leading, leading up to this point, we saw it on display, like the great combination play in, in their midfield, the the level of understanding between the players to in their movements. I think um when our roommates had noted like in the first half, he was like, they never run into each other on these like in, in any of these moves. Like no one is running into each other, no one's like getting in each other's way when they're making these runs. Like this looks it just looks so much of it looks coordinated and and if whether it is or isn't right like that's there's still a coaching that has to go into being in the right places and making and knowing which runs to make right and knowing which runs to make at the right time and like martin braithwaite like hats off to him coming out of this tournament like he he was great for denmark he was you can kind of see the level that probably he should be at, like just being yes. realistic. And and but you can also see why Barcelona thought that he would fit well too. Like so so smart and like the link up play and his movements are great. You know, it's at the end of the day, Barcelona's a Barcelona forward still needs to score. That's the yeah. tough part. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but look, all the other things about his game, you can see why why Barcelona made the move for him when they did and, and made the move for him. I, I remember, I know it was in like in a pinch of sorts. Right. But yeah, you know, like in a situation like that, it's just who's going to fit the system. And, and you can see why they thought he could fit the Barca playing style. And it, like, really like that whole first half, like a testament to how well Denmark had been coached and just the cohesion and chemistry between the team itself, because they, I think midfield-wise, they outplayed England in the first half. 100%. 100%. Yeah. The one thing I would say is that that's what I was impressed with was Denmark in the first half, not, not the second half. I should have rephrased that. But I, I will still go back and say that I think this did end up becoming an open, a more open game in the second half. Yeah. But I think that it was, 100% to your point, a game of talent towards the end. And... It, not so much energy or running out of steam so much as you're bringing, if you're, you're I mean, if you're Gareth Southgate, which obviously you are in this case, you're bringing on players like Jack Grealish and obviously an extra time bringing on, um, you know, Jordan Henderson, Phil Foden, still leaving out Jaden Sancho for some <laughs> apparent reason. But then even on top of that, taking Jack Grealish out again, <laughs> and, and, take, and yeah. bring in Kim Trippier, like <laughs> yeah, that's it. That, I mean, that you, point, you can understand, like they were just they were just holding on for the lead at that point. They, they were, they were, but it was just funny to me that you still have the depth to make yeah. a substitution like that, and you're not even talking about players like Reese James, Jane Sancho, Marcus Rashford, who, by the way, last name that I just mentioned, Marcus Rashford, mm-hmm. absolutely should have been brought on the pitch in the second half for England. I yeah. I think he would have thrived against. I mean, Christensen basically went out of the game towards yeah. the, the end of the, the first half or second half. So I think he would have thrived in between a back three um, with basically two up front, right? Him and Kane 
would have would have done yeah really, really agree well. honestly yeah i agreed i think it, the, the timing of the subs where like, i didn't even realize that that sub that first jack really sub was so late and then mm-hmm. the henderson what sub was what was it, the second sub i think um for second sub for england i should say i think so in uh, combination with um um, yeah because i think mount came off phil foden yeah, yeah, yeah. foden at some point yeah yep. so the second or third um substitution there like came kind of late when it was pretty obvious that denmark were like fairly shot in terms of um tiredness by like the 70th minute really uh but yeah i think you know the just have just so much talent on this team and and I think still what scared me or concerns me going into Sunday for them is just how poor I felt Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice played. Mm -hmm. Like not even just in possession, but I felt like that first half, it was too easy for Denmark to play through the two of them, whether they were not close enough at times or, the gaps between them and the back line were too big and, and guys like Bra- Braithwaite and Dolberg were finding spaces there. And, and then just think about in possession, like the amount of times they had a chance to just feed either Mason Mount or Bukayo Saka. And then as the game wore on Grealish and, and Mount yeah, and, yeah. and Bowden, like the amount of times that they had the chance to play it in between the lines, like, and just split, two of the Danish defenders and they just didn't play the pass. Like it, <laughs> It's very frustrating. And I know that we could, you can say all you want about, Oh, Italy got outplayed against Spain and whatever. And their midfield didn't look that great against Spain and stuff. Test. That's a, as we said earlier, that's a testament to how good Spain yeah. midfield played, because yeah. I promise you the players on Italy are not missing those passes. If the, if, it opens up for England against England, I should say. So it's, it's going to be, those are going to be crucial misses. Like, like I know that like they kept the ball, right. They just end up passing it sideways and maybe it eventually got to one of those two attackers, but that's, that's, those are the margins again. Like those are the margins of winning uh, a, a tournament and not so. Yeah, that's it's a blessing and a curse, really, with international football. That's part of why, like, I'm always there. You know what I mean? Like, it's not it's not a completely representative picture of no, no, of of everything. Yeah. I mean, look, if if we if it really was, then we would have given Adair the Ballon d'Or that he deserved in 2016. So stop, stop. Real, you really want to open up that can of worms? You really want to do that? Yeah. No, yeah. let's, let's but, do that. Yeah, but that's but that but that is the level that I, I know, I know, happen. I know, I know exactly. Yeah, I, I'm obviously tuck at cheek, but like uh. well, the, this is this is the one thing that I will say about um just on an individual level about England. We do need to put some respect on Raheem Sterling's name. Like, oh my goodness! I, I, I think yeah, I, like we all we obviously have as in you and I have, but the English national team absolutely does three goals. One assist this tournament in this tournament, a hundred percent of England's goals in the group stage too, which I completely yeah. forgot about. And then, of course, helped cause whatever that own goal was yeah. <laughs> today, yeah. and and won the game winning penalty. So, I I just I I do want to shout out someone 
who, yes, had a very difficult season at Manchester City in terms of scoring goals and really providing for this team. But I also want to, like, that leads me to my last point about this before I do want to talk about the penalty, is that you're seeing the very active influence of club managers on their national teams. And I think this has been a common theme dating back decades, but really, really started to shine through, at least for when I started to see it, when you could see how clearly Pep Guardiola influenced the 2010 Spanish team and seeing the way that they played in the World Cup and even in the Euros 2008, but more so in the World Cup and 2012 Euros, that was a direct line of play and a direct pipeline of players that came from their clubs. Like they came from club management and spent years under one manager learning this trait and the style of play. And now you're seeing it with players like Raheem Sterling that came from Manchester city. And I think in a lot of ways, you're also seeing it with Phil Foden and Mason Mount under Thomas Tuchel. That's all a very representative brand of the way that they play their club football. And that's bleeding into um, uh, you know, the way that, England is playing right now. And if England do end up winning the Euros, there has to be a portion of that trophy that falls on the at least two club managers um, in the Premier League. Yeah, but this is the this, this is the product potentially of having great coaches in your domestic league, right? Like yeah. if if this is if this is where 90% of your player pool as it is as it is for England, like comes through, like if those, if those players are coming from the Premier League and there are great coaches in there, then you would expect the players to have a just a higher level of understanding of the game and and making runs, like those runs from the out outside of the um, the most left side of the field to the the back posts, as you saw. Um, Ryan Sterling make, but also mm-hmm. as you saw, Bukayo Saka made that run when uh, the pass was played into him from Kane. Yep. Right, it's that out to in, and just trying to cut across the lines. And and full credit to Harry Kane, who has gotten a lot of stick for the during this tournament, of course, and a lot of it for dropping deep and trying to like be the number ten and stuff. And in, at times, I think it has been a bit too much. Like when he's when he's dropping to like center the center line like that, he's, that's not, he's not necessary like, yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah. literally like like unless you are messy you don't need to do that basically um, but in that move for the first goal that's the that's a great time to drop he dropped just a bit into like just to pull the defender away and that opened up space for his soccer to make the run in behind and he and credit to Kane he played a great pass and credit to uh Saka for picking his head up um picking his head up in time to find Raheem Sterling and credit to Sterling for making that run. And I mean, I have no idea why, you know, it doesn't make sense why he didn't get mad at the match at the end. <laughs> like It's Kane because Kane, I guess, scored the only goal that they could credit to one of their players. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's all Sterling again, just like, just like in the first goal for Ukraine, like he's, he's just so influential in this team. And uh thank goodness again that he ended up drawing that penalty and and you know more um being a big part of that first goal too because i think it was like five or six minutes before that when uh he had a chance right in front of goal uh like five five yards away point blank and hit it right into casper schmeichel's chest like that was (laughs) he was 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 still one nil that was when it was still one nil too yeah like so it was like 
tough, but yeah, you know, he just kept running for the whole 120 minutes and you can see why, why Southgate has so much trust in him. He's had trust in him almost since the first moment that Southgate became the coach. Like he, Sterling has started as many games as Kane, if not more, and probably played more minutes than him too. So you can see the benefit of like that great man management um, from Southgate. Yeah, a hundred percent. Rian, there's one last thing that we do need to talk about. Unfortunately, I hate that there's controversy in this game because I think mm-hmm. it really overshadowed part of what made this so, so special um, for England fans, of course. Was it a penalty? Yes or no? I just want, I want one word. I, I'm oh, that's, say that's too many words. Uh, I say too- soft, soft. I, okay. I, I'll say this. If that was in the Premier League, that's not a penalty. I promise you, Ryan Sterling's not getting that call if that was a Premier League referee. Yeah. Uh, now, don't take that as me ever advocating for a Premier League <laughs> referee coaching in any game remotely this important. Okay, let's get that straight. But I just think I think it was soft, and I think maybe it was a makeup call for that really weird yellow card that Harry Kane got in the second half, where he seemed to obviously win the ball and get fouled. Like, on the very edge of the box, potentially the box, probably. Yeah. Like it looked like it was just inside. And for some reason he got booked for diving. So who knows? Like again, penalties, refereeing, VAR, we can just go back to Gattuso. (laughs) (laughs) We go back to Gattuso. I should put the audio in right here, but I don't want to get copyrighted. (laughs) Yeah. how, How to judge this stuff. You know, it's, a mixed bag to say the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, of course. But no, I I mean I I I would say it was not a penalty, just yeah. purely on objective terms, like softness aside, I really just don't think like I think that's not even a foul in a normal area yeah, of the pitch. Like I it's agree. just someone falling over from contact and like I think it was I, going, I think he was falling down in the first place and then gets like true. hit as he's falling down. So I, I mean, I, the one thing I really did appreciate about it is that I don't think he was looking for it. Like, I don't think that he was. Actively, I think he kind of was. I think really like maybe a little. I think he was a little, a little. I think he was expecting contact, but I don't think he yeah. was like trying to actively be like, oh, I'm Fair. in physical pain, Fair. like in CDA 2.0. Like, <laughs> like, I don't think that's what it was. But uh, yeah, I mean, we can talk about the penalty all day long. It probably was not one, unfortunately. I think the sadder part is that Casper Schmeichel also had like lasers in his eye during the penalty. Like, and he still saved and, it. And he's, yeah, yeah, and he still saved it. And then it obviously off the rebound, but yeah. more like th- there was also like a second ball on the field when the penalty that was, was so like, funny. I was <laughs> like, I, there was so much weird stuff in that two minute sequence that it's, I honestly kind of just threw my hands up and I was like, yeah, that's fine. It's the okay. chaos we deserved at this point. It's the chaos we should have expected at yeah. the end of a at the end of a COVID season. <laughs> like, exactly. So, exactly. It's the chaos we should expect. Um, exactly. As quickly before we before we had to break and then and then um, talk some Copa America. What what are you looking forward to for this Sunday? Yeah, um, I'm very much looking forward to an Italy win first and foremost. Let me let's <laughs> jot that down. Um, I'm very much looking forward to see who Gareth Southgate starts in midfield and then how many of those midfielders he actually plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess other way around, right? How many midfielders is Gareth Southgate going to play? 
and which one of those midfielders are actually going to play. I think going with any combination of Phillips and Declan Rice in your starting lineup is not going to bode well for you against this Italian midfield. It's not. You're not only outnumbered, but you are also outskilled. It's it's a terrible, terrible formula. The other thing I'm very curious about, and this is not something I believe we've seen, is Harry Kane versus Chiellini slash Panucci. <laughs> I don't know what that battle is going to look like. I think it will be a lot of... I, I think there's at least one yellow card <laughs> between any three <laughs> of those players, for sure. Um, I'll still go under on the one and a half, but... I just, I, I'm curious to see how they mark him. Like I'm curious because yeah. you still have a lot of wing, wing back, or I should say wing threat. Right. And I, I would be remiss to say that if Gareth Southgate does not start Jane Sancho in the final, he will be silly, but how does that pan out? Right. How, at what point do, does Italy's backline get stretched? Right. Are, are England going to rely almost solely on the pace, right. Of, yeah. Of this team. Like, I don't have those answers, but I'm I'm just curious to see how that that works out. Similarly to to Spain versus Italy. Yeah, I I, th- I think just quickly, like, I think we're gonna see Rice and Phillips as the as the I double know. pivot yeah, again. We, we are, we, we, we definitely are. are, and and I agree with you. I think that is just such a weak spot up against Italy. It would have been such a weak spot, obviously, up against Spain. Like I think, I I think that's gonna be what's played and. I think that's the the areas for for um, Italy to exploit. But then, to your point on um, will they be able to stretch Italy's back line? I, I think they can if they if they really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they definitely can. It's just that England don't really play on the counter, which is very not very very against England uh, norms, honestly. But they play very slow and and they're just they're gonna have to pick the tempo up they're, they're gonna have to play at a quicker tempo because even today like they they dominated that game like in the second half of course but they can be they can be so much more incisive if they want to if they want to be so yeah we'll, we'll see if they want to and uh for me that what i'm looking forward to is like who's gonna shit house better? <laughs> like, because we saw a bunch of it from England today in those la- in that whole fifteen minutes, uh, second fifteen minutes of extra time, and we've seen our fair amount of Italy shit housing too when they've gotten the lead, especially in that game against Belgium. Uh, it's it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see who shit houses the most and the hypocrisy of getting angry at each other for doing more or less the same things. So. I'm looking forward to the the gamesmanship of uh, on Sunday. Damn, true words have never been spoken. So true. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I guess. Well, before we wrap up, predictions. Who do you think is? Well, actually, I know who you think is actually going to win, but score predictions. Dude, I think it goes to penalties. You think it goes to penalties and England one, win? Um. I'm because that is probably one. the most unlikely scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, no, I think Italy wins it in penalties. I'm going to say 1-1 one, 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 really? or 2-2. Two, 1-1 one, one or 2-2. Two, two. Although I just can't see these either of these two teams conceding two goals. But No, um, I can't. I'll say 1-1. One, one, I think goes to penalties, and I think Italy wins it in penalties. 
I've been so wrong about my score predictions in the knockout rounds that I'm going to make a very straightforward prediction. I think it is 1-1 at the end of regulation. Italy scored in the second half of extra time, and it's mm. no penalties. So mm. that's what I'm I'm expecting. I, I, I've been so wrong. So it's probably going to be 3-1 to England after 90 minutes. So. Gold de Grasso. Gold de Grasso. Yeah. yeah. No, there's a, no, no Grasso on the team, sir. But who will it be? Who knows? But we shall yeah, see. It, it'll be... I think it'll be even. I think it'll be very even. Uh-huh. A, a lot of that has to do with, I think, just the solidity of England's defense. It's been really like I, I know that we that I that we kind of trashed on how their midfield defended today, but as a whole, they've still been very good at at minimizing the high quality chances. So we should be in for a, for a KG game, I think. Yes, one hundred percent agreed. So. There's our predictions. There's our thoughts on the semifinals. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and talk a little bit about the Copa America, which has had me see my blood pressure rise by 30 points in the last two weeks. So BRB. So Rian and I were just talking during our break about the Copa America. Um, I'm just like not mentally prepared to talk about the first of these semifinals, which we're going to start with Brazil, Peru, a game and really a matchup that saw Brazil already come out on top during this Copa America, just because of how absolutely funky <laughs> this Copa America is with five teams, two groups and or 10 teams, five groups in each uh, five teams in each group. Brazil already just hashed Peru apart like two weeks ago in the group stages. And they fully just went on to, well, you know, beat them again <laughs> in, in the semifinals of, of the Copa America, winning 1-0 off of a Lucas Paqueta goal, a Neymar assist. Neymar now, I believe, on three goals and four assists for the tournament. Just, again, Showing up for Brazil. I have to give it to him. Showing up for, for Brazil, for his country. Um, showcasing the, the talent that he we expect of him. But let's not, let's not forget that this game was pure conmobile at its absolute finest. Just, oh, chef's kiss this game into the record-setting history of conmobile shithousery. It, it gave me almost joyous feelings sensations if you will to watch this game and know that somewhere bolsonaro was just giggling the entire time knowing that this team is going to be bringing home this copa america final regardless of what happens so yeah, he's paid for it he's, yeah, yeah, yeah he's paid in kind for it it's not even that he's just paid for it so rian what are, like what are your thoughts on a this brazil peru game and then b brazil going into the final now that well, we know that also Gabriel Jesus will not be available for uh, for the second game, obviously, for his two-game uh, suspension. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Let's start with the game because that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to get into uh, Gabriel Jesus' best Nigel de Jong <laughs> impression. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to get into it. Uh, honestly, he seemed worse than de Jong. Yes. This was, <laughs> he was, like, fully horizontal in the air on this tackle but whatever um no this game was 
just uh, Neymar. Like, like it is there's not much else you can say. I like. I'll also note um, Richarlison and Neymar's link up is really good, and I guess you, you would hope that it would be. And uh, from Richarlison's case, I guess a fair amount of the time at Everton, he's not playing with anyone on remotely the same wavelength as uh, as Neymar, right? But I did love how much how much they combined with each other, and we saw even for the goal for the one Brazilian goal. Um, Neymar gets the awesome assist it's he's played in by Richarlison and I think like those two have just been that that is kind of the that is the thing that Messi almost never has (laughs) with Argentina is like one like one guy that he's just always on the same wavelength with sometimes that can be Di Maria though I will say that sometimes yeah but um and actually the only thing I'd add is that Lo Celso mm -hmm. has been shockingly a big part of that yes, connection actually it, this tournament but. yeah for sure for sure we'll get to yeah. that but yeah it's just it's i love watching neymar play for brazil because it is just he's back home whenever he's playing with them he's like he's just playing for santos again like, yeah, the goal, yeah, he, yeah he I, I couldn't quite tell when it happened i was like he was he was definitely trying to go for a meg but i can't tell if he got it or not and then they showed the replay like <laughs> He just squeezes it through. barely. He's just yeah. looking for it. It's it's wonderful. Like, this is a very interesting team. I, I would love to get. I would love to get a chance to see them, perhaps play in a friendly against one of one of the uh, European teams sometime before the World Cup. That would be that would be good to, to get a good gauge of them. But everything about it, like Fred, looks great. Fred looks yeah. great. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's just playing with like a defensive mid, like a good defensive midfielder in in Casemiro. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it seems like the pieces fit very well for this Brazilian squad. You know what? The other thing too, it's interesting about this Brazil team is that, like, we talk a lot about how Neymar and really the rest of the team is just playing very fluidly. I would say the one player that is unfortunately just he hasn't been in form in months at this point, and that's Bobby Firmino. But outside of that, there's been a discussion, I think, like around the football community. Is this team back to like that Jogo Benito kind of Ronaldinho-esque style all of a sudden under uh, Chichi? And I just don't I don't think that's necessarily the case yet. Like they play with that freedom because they are Brazilian. And that's like basically it. I think it's a something you signed on to yeah. when you get baptized as a Brazilian. <laughs> like I think that just happens. But I also think that they're more Catenacho than mm. they are like this Jogo Benito style, like <laughs> Nike commercial just balling out in the locker room um, from like the 06 era. They're still much more, I would say. Route one almost like more direct, and there's very much like a a very rapid succession to to their their flow. Like it's not it's not like they're doing pirouettes and flicks and and tricks. Like Neymar is doing that because that's Neymar, but yeah. the whole team collectively has very much a drive to goal. Like very much a drive through the middle. It's blatant run through the defenders, get fouled, run through the defenders, get fouled. It's it's been that way this entire tournament. So 
them going up against Peru is just really interesting to me because they finally came up against a side that decided to wake up from the, their group stage performance and really push at Brazil, like really force them to, to go through the team. And that's not something that Brazil really wanted to do. I mean, the first half, they were excellent, um, did, did not score a goal. I mean, so many wonderful, wonderful saves. Um, I, I would say really from Galice, like I think he had four or five at some point, like after like 30 minutes. So long story short, Brazil might not be the old 06 side, right. That we are, that we expect or that we loved, but they're still a very, very well-oiled machine. And that's, yeah. that's how they beat you by just being ruthless and consistent. Um, and oh, by the way, this final is in the Maracanã. So if anyone actually expects <laughs> Brazil to lose, you're just kidding yourself. Yeah, there's there's a great balance to this Brazilian team. I think, like you said, even if a lot of the creativity is coming from pretty much two players, um, in Richarlison and and um, Neymar, they're very solid at the back. Like we saw how good the Marquinhos and Thiago Silva as a partnership was with PSG, and then throw in that they can have their pick of Casemiro or Fabinho as the holding mid. Like that's the spine of the team is very, very solid. So the defensive spine, I should say at least. So they can, they have a great platform to play for Neymar and Charleston to play very free as they do. Mm -hmm. Um, And look, also like, as we've been seeing in, in um, the Euros, the control over substance thing, like the, that's kind of the final that we're getting in um, in the Euros, right? Where, you know, England's more control and then Italy tries to be a bit more substantiated in, in how they attack. I think we're getting somewhat similar in this, in the Copa America final too, where you see how many attackers that Argentina, they look, you can never fail to expect that Argentina will just try to play for attacking players who more or less kind of play the same positions at the same time. And just kind of say, uh, screw it to any sort of um, any sort of uh, solidity or <laughs> um, convention to how a team is set up. So I think that's that's going to be a fun clash of styles there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Super fair. And moving on, I guess, from Brazil, right, talking more about this argentina Colombia semifinal. Um the clash of styles is really going to be interesting. Argentina have, have absolutely developed into more of a team, right? And, and surrounded Messi with not just talent, but talent that really plays with him rather than mm. towards him. Like they play for themselves and are very independent and have very much an identity around this team now that we did not see in 2014. We didn't see in 2016. We didn't see in 2019. Copa America. Like we haven't just seen that, right? And for messy to come into a team that really feels like he can support them right in what they do Lataro martinez has finally kind of hit his stride right i think one of the most interesting players of this tournament for argentina i kind of just mentioned him earlier is lo celso playing in i think you saw last night against colombia for the the pre-assist to messi in between the center backs and of course messi doing his thing to, to assist Lataro martinez like there's there's a path for to goal like for this this team like they they play with a confidence that i haven't seen before and to see messi probably play i mean i would love to hear your thoughts on this i would argue this is his best ever international tournament so far 
like I know that he won the um the golden boot and everything and best player of the tournament in the world cup in 2014 and has scored some ridiculous goals in the Copa America in the past. But like he has scored four goals and had five assists. He's been involved in nine of eleven Argentine goals <laughs> this tournament. That isn't that is insane. The last time that I can remember hearing or seeing about this was when Diego Maradona, I think, was involved in nine of eleven of Argentina's goals in the 1986 World Cup. So it's it's mind blowing to me that he's 34 and doing this. And and just I just want to point out like there's there's gonna be a day where this ends. Like there's just gonna yeah. be a day where this does not happen ever again. And I'm I, honestly I I have said this time and time again. I fully expect Brazil to win on Saturday. That is, I think that they're the better team. I think that they're more prepared for this. This is in Brazil. They have more to lose. But there's all there's always a but with with Messi and this Argentina team that really has taken steps to to improve them. And, and I think the last thing I will say before I will genuinely shut up is that Scaloni has done one thing that I think no other Argentine manager has been able to do in the last 10 years. And that's unify the squad and actually make them feel like they are a team like man management aside. I think just being able to actually vibe as a group is for some reason, very difficult with Argentina. And he has found a way to make these players feel like a real family. Like, like there's a unity in this team, very similar to how it is with Brazil. Like they just show up to training and they're just like, yeah, let's vibe. Like, let's do it. Like I'm seeing the same thing with Argentina, and I think that will make this game really, really special. Really, 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 uh, whatever. I'm done talking. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's the last thing I'll say about Argentina. I still expect Brazil to win, um, but I'm just, I'm really hoping for an amazing game. <laughs> no, I, I love to see how, how uh, excited that this team makes Messi himself. Like, like the excitement that he sees when, when these guys are doing well. And, um, I think no one is going to really have a good argument against this being his uh, best tournament as an Argentine, so as an Argentine player. So the the way that he's really been like the just played the orchestra, honestly, of, yeah. of this of this entire team, um, and like you said, they're not playing just to play through or play play. Uh, yeah, play too messy, necessarily, right? There, there's movement off the ball. Like there, there are guys who, somewhat similar to like that, how this Portugal team seems now, where like there are guys outside of Messi, Ronaldo for Portugal's sake, that have the confidence and the quality to be able to do things on their own too, and not, and and not be like, oh, I I gotta pass it to Messi now, or like I can't do this. I need to pass it to him and then we'll, we'll figure out how to, to progress the ball or whatever. Not to say that Messi isn't still dropping deep to help with all of that <laughs> stuff, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now, it, but now it's like, he's doing that and it's just to get the ball to, to these other guys who are great, who are great in possession themselves or great technical ability themselves. And they're, they're playing very well off of each other. And I, I think I still have a bit, I'm a concern. I'd love to see Paredes play a bit more, mm-hmm. um, just because <laughs> I think before he came on, and Argentina hadn't really finished that game up. Like I think, I think some maybe around the 70th or, or 80th minute, sometime just after Colombia equalized, and they showed the shots count 
Colombia like doubled Argentina in terms of shots. They're like that yeah. just should not happen. That shouldn't be happening. Uh, and and I think they just miss a little, um, a little organization in possession in the midfield. And and I think that Paredes could offer that. He ended up coming on later in the game, and uh, he ended up scoring his penalty as well. But I I, I think that is also my one my one uh, fear for them coming up against this Brazilian midfield, which has been just really Scary. well functioning. <laughs> yeah. And really complimentary of each other. So that that's, that's where if, if the biggest disadvantage that Argentina has honestly going into that game. Yeah. I, I was very worried when Colombia really just took it to Argentina in the second half of the semifinal, like just pressing and pressing and pre- Brazil were going to do the same exact thing. Like they're taking a massive playbook out of Colombia and applying that in this final. I'm telling you right now, what will be really interesting is see how Argentina, if they can play through that, because I do think that they actually have the ability to do that. And also does Di Maria start, which by the way, he should, because he came on and changed this game. He's so direct. Just so direct. He's so direct. And that's what they need against Brazil. Like otherwise they're just going to get suffocated and Sorry to say it, but Gonzalez should not start this game. Di Maria absolutely should. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I will say, I, I like I said, still expecting Brazil to win. But if Argentina do go 1-0 up and score the first goal, all bets are off, and I'm going to lose my shit. So the last, th- the last thing, Rihanna, I will say is that Emmy Martinez in the penalty shootout against Colombia was goaded. Oh, what a guy. What a guy. So funny to hear that trash talk like the next morning and, and all of it translated to English, obviously he was saying shit that just, where do you even <laughs> think of that? Like what, like, where did you, where did you come or pull out of that? Pull it that was out masterful. Of? It was, it was honestly a masterclass in shit talking. It really and, then, and then throw on top of that, like I said earlier, the guy did his homework. He went the right way on four of the five penalties. Fantastic. Like just like, we we already see how good of a goalkeeper he's been for Aston Villa, but like this is like another level too. Yeah. Like like this is another level. This is preparation and F- and like just being ready for the moment, which you know we've seen in a few penalty shootouts over the last couple of months. Kind of looking to you, David de Gea, <laughs> where guys just didn't seem like they were prepared for this and. You know, it's it's not just a guessing game. Penalties. There's not just a guessing game. There's you can do research on your opponents, and it's obvious that Emmy Martinez and the Ar- and credit to the Argentina goalkeeping staff too. They obviously all were ready for this moment, and um, I was I was scared for them because they didn't go first. I think it, I was yeah. like, this, I guess one way to do this either if you don't go first. You better make sure your keeper's ready for whoever's <laughs> going to step up and take the the penalties against him. So, yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, predictions. We'll end on that. Predictions for this game. Uh man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say two one Brazil. I think that's fair. I think that's yeah. very fair. I, I think. This is probably low scoring, probably very cagey, lots of fouls, lots of yellow cards. Of course. I think that is a very fair scoreline. I'm going with something similar. I'm going with 2-1 Brazil, but I'm going with that in extra time as well. Mm. I think that this is probably 1-1 after um, after 90 minutes and Brazil wins in extra time. And I will cry um, if that happens, of course. So 
I'm preparing. And, I, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that one of Otamendi or Casemiro is probably getting sent off in this game. So, well, por que no los dos? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. At, at least at <laughs> least one, I should say that. For sure. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Man. Well, that's not going to be entertaining. Uh, whatever. Best May the best team win. Hopefully that's Argentina. I think that's the last thing that we probably had to say on that before I start losing my mind. So, ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for spending some time. We will talk to you after both of these finals. We'll either be, well, I'll either be super happy or super sad. Rian will just commentate as he always does in a beautifully wonderful way and that'll be that so (laughs) we'll see you guys after the finals thanks guys